This morning is gonna be, okay, this Bible won't stay open. I'll get to that in a second. So this morning, um, I'm really excited. We're starting or continuing this series back to basics, okay? We started it last week. So if you weren't here, let me give you the one to two minute version of what I said last week, all right? Um, Or you can listen to it on a podcast. Um, But basically, I I talked about how we live in a culture um, of plenty of information, all right? We are oversaturated with information, And with so much information that is accessible, um, so many things we're thinking about, when you have kind of a million options, it's like you're standing in the aisle at Kroger and there's like a million different pastas and you're like, okay, I just need a pasta. You know, what do I do, right? So when you have all this, no no one else. All right, just me. You all know exactly what pasta you're looking for. You find the box, you get out of there. So when there's a lot of information out there, it can be hard to know what to grab onto. And that can be a very unsettling feeling. And uh, I think right now in 2019, some of you might resonate with that. Like there's so many things to care about. There's so many things to know about, so many things to see, all of these options. And it leaves us going, but who am I? Why am I? What do I do, right? I can't choose a million options. And I feel like God put this series on my heart to go, hey, for the people that follow Jesus, or at least that are interested in following Jesus, what are some basic Christian practices that in the midst of all the things, if you'll just anchor your life into these six things, or these six or seven things, we'll we'll see, um, six or seven things, you will feel this sense of gravity, this sense of like that solid rock that Matthew 7 talks about when Jesus is like, hey, the wise man doesn't just hear my words, but he acts on them, he obeys them. That's what establishes his house on a solid rock. And so the idea behind this is to talk through a few uh, Christian practices, but to not leave it at the information phase right? We already have enough information. So information either makes you feel overwhelmed or underwhelmed, right? You're either overwhelmed because you're already on information overload from just being a human in 2019, or you're underwhelmed because you've got plenty of information. Who needs more information? This is pretty boring, right? So we're not going to leave it at the information phase. So today we're going to talk about prayer, and we're going to talk about the why of prayer, the theology of prayer. Why do Christians pray? But next week, we're going to take it a step further. We're going to go from information to participation, We're gonna answer the question of how. So if this week is about why, next week is about how. Because I believe that unless we have information matched with participation, we will never get transformation, all right? And I don't wanna leave us in the information phase. As best as we can, I wanna get us participating together so that these words of Jesus, these basic Christian practices that draw us near to the heart of God will actually register with us, will sink in. Because statistically speaking, you got a 20% chance of remembering anything I'm about to say. And that stinks because I don't even say that good of stuff. So it's probably like more like 5%, right? And that's not, I guess just not a great rate. But if we talk together, you have a 70% chance of retaining what you share, what you talk about, what you discuss. And that's just if you sit in a circle and talk about it. So next week, bring your boldness, bring your courage, bring your whatever else would make you more likely to share in a group and uh, be ready because we're gonna circle up chairs and talk about, hey, Last week was the why, this week is the how. What does this look like, all right? Does that make sense? That's the series. Okay, yeah, come on, Chelsea, thank you. Um, Let's get it going. All right, so I wanna start with a story, but we'll be in Genesis chapter one to start off today. So if you've got a Bible or a phone, you can turn to Genesis one, but per usual, a little story, okay? No, we're gonna pray, and then I'm gonna tell a story. All right, let's pray. God, thank you for today. Um, Thank you for this gathering of people on a beautiful day. I know we need you. Thank you that right now you believe, you believe in the person in this room 
more than they believe in themselves. That you are more excited and so willing to, to empower and to use and to grow and to nurture and all these things and they're even aware of. And God, would you, where there's places in their heart that are resistant to the truth, to the love of the Father, God, will you just start to, to put little cracks in that wall, um, God? I just, I'm picturing like a, the wall of a dam and if you poke, poke a hole in the wall, right, water just slowly starts to come out and I just pray, God, that in the walls of the hearts of, of man that are, that are against you, that prevent us from hearing your truth, will you just start poking holes that the river of life would start flowing? Um, God, I just, I pray against insecurity, hopelessness, darkness, addiction, secrecy, things that you have no, you have no desire for. There's no life there. You're, you're not cool with it. I pray against double-mindedness. We, we, want, we want you and we want some of this too. And that's, it, that's not it. So Holy Spirit, will you just work among us? And you are a good father who loves. Like you remove things from us to help us and you give things to us to help us. And yeah, we just move in our midst. And uh, our souls will not be wooed by words of man. Um, we need you. Oh, Gosh, man, wow. Woo. As I was praying just then, wow. I like what the, the, how crazy it would be if we got up here and thought, man, if he'll say the right thing, my life will change. Like if he'll do the right thing. If, I'll, if I put that pressure on myself even to go, like I hope I say the right things that rhyme or start with the same letter that just really get to the heart and then lives change. Like, no, no. Like we need the Holy Spirit and we need God and I'm just, Golly, I was super aware of that. All right, um, we need the Lord. Okay, story. Focus. All right. Um, so Leah and I, my wife, she was at the nine, smoking hot. We, uh, we are, uh, while we were either dating and almost engaged or engaged, um, this family, Brent and Lisa Baldwin, this elder family, not an elderly family, all right, an elder family at our church. So Brent and Lisa, if you're listening to this, elder, all right, you are young and thriving, but they invited us out to their house and uh, they live out in the country. Is anyone from the country? Like just the good old country. Not many of us, but shout out, all right? So if you are from the country, you know how country roads feel, right? Those long, windy roads. And if you know them, you can take those turns really aggressively. And if you don't know them, they're kind of scary. And so we're driving down those long country roads. We pull up to the house. They've got the big front yard, the basketball goal, the dog, the screened in front, our back porch with the swing. It is classic, all right? It is the country home that I know of because I'm from there and two other people here also know of. So uh, we pull up to this house and we start hanging out with Brent and Lisa. And um, this was a really fun experience for me because Brent and Lisa, when you live in the country, your atmosphere, your environment is just quiet by default, right? Polar opposite of where we are right now. So if you go out in your backyard, you might think it's quiet, but it's only because you've gotten so used to traffic, right? But if you actually pay attention, you're like, oh no, there it is. There's a semi-truck like honking or just driving by or whatever. It's like, you hear it all. But out in the country, it's like quiet. Like you can, you can like hear the wind and stuff. It's weird. You're like, is that leaves or something? Like, what is, what is that noise? What am I feeling on my face? Well, I guess you can feel the, okay. So <laughs> I've never felt the wind before. I've been in a room my whole life. All right. So uh, anyway, so we're out there and we're hanging out with Brent and Lisa. And so it's just quiet and peaceful. And as Brent and Lisa are like talking to us, they did this weird thing where they would ask questions and then just listen. It was super weird. You ever been in a conversation where you're talking, but you can tell the person's waiting for you to finish so they can get the thing? 
That means you've had a conversation with me, right? Like, like I'm like, hey, tell me about yourself. And you start talking, and I'm like, if you'll stop, if you'll stop, I got something. You know, I'm ready, you know? But I'm talking to Brent and Lisa, and they're just like listening. They're swinging back and forth, and they're just like looking at me, just being so sweet. And as I'm just sitting there, this is, I don't want to dramatize it. This is actually what happened. As we're just sitting and swinging and talking, I literally just felt like the stress and the anxiety and the internal calendar and the internal clock that's aware of how long I'm talking. Do you ever do that? Do you ever apologize for talking? Someone asks you a question and you talk for 10 seconds and you're like, oh, I'm so sorry, I'm rambling. Where did that come from? What culture do we live in that we say sorry all the time for answering questions? Is that just me? Have you been there? So we're doing it and I don't sense any need to hurry my sentences like I am right now, like, to, to talk fast, to get my thoughts out, like slowly but surely, I, I feel like the peace and the calm that comes with just experiencing just like the presence of life, just being present with someone else. And it was so nice. I like remembered what it was like to just be a human, having a conversation, no sense of expectation, no sense of urgency, it was really cool. I've experienced that before. Like when I went to Uganda and all the technology was gone and all we had were just our mud huts and just the starry sky and, and just sitting with people and just being there. And I was like, oh man, I love this. And do you ever have moments like that? Have you ever like been with friends and maybe went to a cabin or went home to your family and just remembered, oh, that's right. Like right now I can just be me. It's okay. I can just be present. That's all I have to be. That is a very cool feeling. And when you have those, you realize, oh, I don't feel this very often, but I think that feeling, that, that like moment where you go, oh, I'm just experiencing just the power of presence, of just being here and breathing. I think that comes from God. Like I think that is from God and is intended to be a gift to us. And I think that the first place that's intended to be a gift is when we are in the presence of God. And so I started chasing this little like rabbit trail, like, man, I was really feeling that. I started thinking about uh, the story in Genesis chapter one, right? Adam and Eve, creation, all that. And uh, it kind of hit me like a light bulb moment. I went, wait, there was a moment in the history of the world where God existed with two humans and it was perfect. There was no sin. There was no sickness, no disease. And I literally went, what did they talk about? Like when I pray, it's like, okay, gotta pray for some stuff because some stuff is messed up. Gotta pray for what's going on in here because that's messed up. I need help there. Like, I gotta get closer to you because I'm not close enough. Like, you know, there's all these like tensions sometimes. Like, you know what I mean? Like when you're praying, you're like, okay, I got the things I gotta take care of as I talk to the Lord, right? I was like, Adam and Eve didn't have that for a little bit at least. Like, what did they talk about? And so I started nerding out about this and looking into Genesis. So let's look into Genesis, all right? Genesis chapter one, um, ver oh, I know what verse it is, but my notes were backwards. Um, verse 26, it says, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. So let's just recognize God said, I wanna make man in our image. God is perfect, beautiful, holy, righteous, and makes man in his image, all right? Verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Okay, so it's going good so far. Let's skip ahead to verse 31. It says, and God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning in the sixth day. So imagine perfect, all powerful, infinite God looking at his work and going, that was very good, right? Like that's a cool thing. When God exceeds God's expectations, like it's, it's going well. That's not what happened. I think that's theologically inaccurate. I think he knew exactly what he was doing and it was all good. But when a perfect God says, that was very good, things are going very good, all right? It's going well. But I wanna skip ahead to chapter three 
And look at verses eight through 11, all right? This is where we're gonna nerd out a little bit. All right, chapter three, verses eight through 11. This is right after Adam and Eve had eaten the apple or the pear or the peach or whatever fruit grew on the tree of life and death, okay? So sin is the end of the world. We're in a bad situation now. But verse eight says, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. All right, so they hear God walking. And apparently they recognized that noise. So they had heard God walking before, which is really interesting already, the thought of God walking, right? Maybe it's just me. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, which that's fair. Uh, And I hid myself. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? Okay, so I, I, wanna, I know every time I've read this beforehand, I thought about like, okay, sin just entered the world and God has found out and it's, it's all bad, right? But as I thought through it through this other lens of what was life like with God before sin, it was interesting what I noticed because it, I noticed this like conversational comfort between Adam and God, right? So like Adam is there, And God says, Adam. And Adam's like, yeah, here I am, right? So uh, I say that, like, if you think about the story in Exodus where Moses has to go up on the mountain to get the Ten Commandments, Hebrews 12 says that Moses went up there with fear and trembling, okay? You get this idea that, like, God is this all-consuming, unapproachable fire, and to have the task to go and be in his presence was no small thing. It was scary, like, it, it was like, I hope I survive this thing. It wasn't like, a, oh, he's just my father. Like, oh, I'm just gonna go like and like meditate as I walk up this mountain and it's just gonna be all consuming like fire. Like you will die if you do this the wrong way. That's what's going on. But yet in Genesis, you see that Adam and God, they're like talking with one another as if they had already talked once again. And he says he was feeling, experiencing fear, but it was more of like a shame based. Like I knew I had done something wrong, but it, it really got me just thinking about, oh, there was a moment in time where relationship with God existed for the sake of relationship. Like at the beginning of time, before sin, when the creation of the world was here and humanity was there and God was there, there was relationship with God for the sake of relationship. And so today we're gonna talk about prayer and why we pray, what's prayer? Why do Christians always talk about prayer? What's going on with that? And the foundation of this conversation is gonna be that prayer is this moment where we enter relationship with the Father. It is first and foremost, this walking with God. Matthew 6 says, hey, when you pray, pray like this. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So the work of a disciple is to see things on earth as they are in heaven. I believe that in heaven, there is perfect relationship between humanity and God. Do we agree there? Like in heaven, where all things are right, people have perfect communion with God. So while we're on earth, we are making our way back. We're trying to see the ways of heaven infiltrate into earth. And I wanna remind us, that whatever you're bringing in here, whatever you think about prayer, I believe that prayer first and foremost is this thing that goes, hey, God wants relationship with you. He wants that with you, okay? So we're about to discuss the realities of prayer. 
I just wanna let you know, this is not gonna be comprehensive, all right? I don't have it in me. I don't know if anyone does. I know I don't, okay? To like cover prayer in a teaching, right? We could do the next year on prayer. We wouldn't get there. But I will let you know that me and a team have met every Monday and talked about the teaching that's like three or four weeks out. Uh, and then every Thursday to cover the Sunday teaching, we've tried to be thorough. But as I discuss the realities of prayer and you go, hey, did you not mention? No, I didn't, all right? And that's my bad. I want to, I hate that you noticed it, but share with someone else, it could be meaningful, all right? Like, so as you remember things about prayer, things that have blessed you, like I would encourage you to share it. Um, and, and please don't hold me to it because I, I may not be able to remember everything. Does that make sense? All right, we are about to embark on a little journey today. So we're doing the why today. And I'm gonna have a whole lot to say, okay? <laughs> More than usual. I usually say a lot, I got a lot today, all right? There's gonna be a lot of scripture references a lot of things, all right? So I would encourage you, if you're a note taker, write these down. I wouldn't encourage you flipping everywhere I say, because I'm gonna say a lot, okay? So a lot of scriptures. So if you're a note taker, write these down. Also, if you're not a note taker, but you'd like notes, I will literally give you my notes after this. So come talk to me. Does that make sense? All right, we're gonna dig into the why in prayer. Lean in, here we go. All right, let's talk about the realities of prayer um, after I get my water. First rea- mm, living water, living water, living water. Um, <laughs> what does that even mean? Um, all right. First reality of prayer, Holy Spirit. All right. Let's talk about the Holy Spirit as the first reality of prayer. Okay. The first passage I'm going to read out of is John chapter 14, verses 15 through 17. Okay. Jesus is talking to his disciples. He says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and he will be in you, all right? So Jesus says, I'm gonna give you the spirit, the spirit of truth, which tells us there is such a thing as truth, okay? Truth exists, it is real, and there is a spirit that gives us direct insight into what truth is, okay? That's important. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth, okay? John 16, just two chapters later, verse seven, all right, it says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you, okay? Jesus says, it is to your advantage that I leave so that I can give you the spirit of truth. Then he gives him a name. And he also did it in chapter 14. He says, if I don't leave, I cannot send you the what? The what? I can't send you the helper, all right? And he says a few things. The helper, all right? That's what I was going for. It's important that we hear that word. The Holy Spirit has a nickname. Jesus says it's the helper. Some of us go, the Holy Spirit is the one that knocks on my door and tells me I'm doing it wrong. Some people say, hey, that, that's the one that goes, you're not doing enough. You gotta do more. You've really blown it this time. No, the Holy Spirit is there to help you. That is why it exists. The Holy Spirit of God helps you. If you follow Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit. It is there only to help you. There'll be moments where it'll go, hey, you gotta stop. You gotta chill this out, but it's to help you. I think some of us go, man, the Holy Spirit condemns, like, right? It tells me where I'm not enough. That is not the case. The Holy Spirit is a helpmate, or if it tells you it's not enough, it's to point that Jesus is totally enough, right? So the Holy Spirit is the helper. That's what, that is what the number one job is. Okay, next part is gonna get spicy. It's really good. The Great Commission, 
Matthew 28, right? If you've ever been to a youth conference, whether it was called Ignite or Blaze or Explode or Go or you know, whatever it was, you know, this is the scripture we think of. Matthew 28 says, go, go into all the nations, like, like baptize people in the name of the Father and the Son and the Spirit. Like, and don't just stop here. Like, we're not just going to Jerusalem. We're not just going to Judea. We're not just going to Samaria. We're going to the end of the world. Let's go. And all the 17 year olds are like, oh my gosh, we're there. I can see the ends of the earth and I'm gonna levitate over there. All right, it gets really exciting. And it's a very powerful passage, obviously, right? This is the great commission of Jesus, that it's the heart of the Father to reach everyone for the sake of the gospel. It's so powerful. But I wanna mention a verse that I overlook, all right? It's in Acts chapter one, verse four. This is really interesting. So this is after Jesus has said the, the great commission moment, right? It says, and while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, John baptized with water, but you, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now, okay? So Jesus goes, you've got all my commands, you got all the stuff you need, but before you go, wait, wait, the Holy Spirit is coming. In a culture where we go, man, what are the things I've done for God? What are the things I need to do for God? And you know the disciples are like, Jesus, we got your back, we're gonna do it all and we're doing it for you. Jesus goes, hey, before you do it for me, I want you to do it with me. Like, I wanna give you my Holy Spirit, the helper, the spirit of truth will go with you. You are not in this alone. I will accompany you. I will be like closer than a brother, okay? So Jesus says, before you go and do all these things, remember that first and foremost, you need my spirit. Prayer acknowledges that the Holy Spirit is intimately involved, that we need him and that he is there. Prayer acknowledges that we don't just need him, but that he is here. Our need has been met. Romans 8, 26 and 27 says, the spirit helps us in our weakness. For we don't know what to pray as we ought, but the spirit intercedes for us with groaning too deep for words. And he searches hearts. He knows what's in the mind of the spirit because the spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. That moment where we're like, God, I don't even know what to say. I know I need something. I don't know what it is. The Holy Spirit's like, hold up, I got you. This is what he's trying to say right now. This is what's going on in this guy. And then God speaks and we're like, wait, well, hold on, how'd it go? And the Holy Spirit's like, no, I got you. This is what God's trying to say to you. Like the Holy Spirit really helps that two-way communication between you and God. Like it's essential and it's there and it's a helper and it's on your side. So before we take this prayer conversation and become the ultra doers of prayer, we have to remember that we are not praying for, like for the sake of obedience with God. We are praying with God, walking with him in relationship and the Holy Spirit is what makes that possible. When you pray, you are not alone. So often, I think some of us carry this, this, this narrative or this baggage that goes, prayer is me grasping as aggressively as I can to just hope to hold on to God. Scripture promises, if you follow Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit, he is in you. You do not need to grasp. He is in you already and around you. Some of us carry a real cynicism of prayer. Like, all right, we'll see if he shows up this time. He's already there. The Holy Spirit is in you. Like, child of God, like, watch the posture of your heart. Be careful with the attitude in which you enter into the presence of God. Know the helper is with you and seeks to help you, okay? So let's see, we're good. That's the Holy Spirit. All right, second, secondly. So first reality, Holy Spirit. Second reality, prayer grants us unity and intimacy with God, all right? Unity and intimacy with God, all right. 
hold on, I have to have my phone because this teaching is long and I gotta be careful. There we go. We're doing great so far, all right? Jeremiah 29, 13, you will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. James 4, 8, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. There's a logic we all understand, but I wanna say it, okay? Time spent, time spent develops intimacy. Time spent develops intimacy. We know that, but I'll give you an example. So me and my friend Kyle Snook, he's actually getting married here in a few months. I'm a groomsman, not a best man, not salty. I can't, I can't fix the lack of wisdom, you know what I'm saying? So I'll just be a groomsman and I'll look with malice in my heart at the best man. No, I'm just kidding. So uh, he's one of my boys, man. I love this guy so much. And um, for years, we've been like just really close friends. And so we hang out, play games with friends, do all these fun things. But about two or three times a month, we'll get together and walk around 12 South and just be pretty intentional with each other. Just like, hey, what's going on? How are you? What's been funny in your life? What's going on in your heart? How's your walk with the Lord? Just real talk, right? A lot of like confessing and praying for and just, just good time brotherhood, like pushing each other towards Jesus. It's awesome. We had this bright idea a few years ago since we were already so close doing these walks, like we were boys. He said, hey, would you wanna move in with me? I'm like, we're geniuses. Yes, right? We move in together. We live together for about a year. What's amazing is, and maybe you've experienced this when you've moved in with friends, in that year, we never hung out. It was incredible. Like I was constantly in the building with him, but since I was always around him, I never thought to go, hey, we should schedule a time to hang out, right? So we never did. It was amazing. We were always in the vicinity of one another, but we were never intentional with that time. Vicinity without vulnerability or intentionality leaves us with pretty shallow relationship, right? And so I learned, like I've moved out now, obviously I'm married, so I don't live with Kyle anymore. And guess what? I hang out with Kyle more than I ever did when we lived together. Like, how is that possible? It's because when we were so used to being around each other, we stopped being intentional with one another. The vulnerability dropped out. And I, I just wanna say like for some of us, we go, oh yeah, prayer, like it draws us closer to God. But you've yet to realize that you're hanging in the vicinity and the things of God, but you've lost the intentionality. You've lost the vulnerability or maybe you never had it. But those are the things that the intentional like pursuit of the heart of God, being vulnerable with the heart of God, that's what will cultivate this intimacy with God that I believe we all long for. Um, okay, what else? Hold on, I gotta find my notes again. Um, yeah, have you ever been around someone who like loves the Lord and they're just like, oh, I just love time of God. And you're like, okay, <laughs> chill out. No one's like that, all right? Like, that's not me, it's not you, but this is cute, right? It's like, I just love, oh man, this morning, like I was just eating my Cheerios, just like singing to the Lord because it's good for my heart and he's good for my heart and all that, like whatever. That was fun. The Cheerios because it's good for the fiber or whatever it is, God. Anyway, so have you ever been around somebody that just loves the Lord for real? And it's just like cheesy. It feels like unattainable. Like what in the world? Uh, if they're a real one, if they're being for real, like they really love the Lord, there's something all of them have in common. All those people that are just in love with the Lord, they have cultivated a heart for prayer, like for real. Like the people that I respect the most that I'm like, man, if I can be like someone, I'd take them. I would be really proud of myself if I got to that like spiritual level, right? In a good way, not comparatively. I'm not falling into comparison or anything. The things they all have in common is they just love the Lord. Like they'll tell me like, oh man, I got up at 5 a.m. today. I just like prayed and just worshiped for two hours. I'm like, who are you? What is going on? But they have recognized this truth. It's not very complicated. Time spent develops intimacy. 
And a truth for you is that prayer is a way to grow close, very close, to know God. Like you will grow to know God on a deeper and deeper level. You will grow to love him and talk like that on a deeper and deeper level. That's just the truth, okay? So simply put, oh wait, hold on. Intimacy with God eventually helps shape your identity. So as you pursue the intimacy spots with the Lord, like getting alone with him, he will reveal more and more about who he is and about who you are, okay? So as you pray, you'll realize like that he is the creator and that you are creation. Like because he is, you are. If he is not, you are not. You'll really get a good understanding of that. You'll understand that he is God. He can do whatever he wants, that you're just human, that he doesn't have to answer to you, but that he chooses to, right? That he is a father. And since he is a father, you are a child. In Matthew 6, when Jesus says, hey, when you pray, pray like this, the first words, Abba, Abba, Father. He goes, yes, God is big and he's powerful and he's, a, he's this fire, he's holy, he's righteous, you couldn't handle it. But when you approach him because of who he chooses to be, you can say Abba, you can say Father. You can use that gentle of a word with what could be a roaring fire waiting to consume you. But he chooses to love you, to call you child, to call you son, to call you daughter. Romans 8.31 says, Paul's gonna ask this question, like what can separate us from the love of God? And he's gonna go on this like multiverse tangent about nothing. Like just gives example after example, like this can't do it, this can't do it, this can't do it, this can't do it. As you grow in your prayer life with the Lord, you will begin to realize just how deep the love of the Father is for your life how much he genuinely, he loves you. He loves you so much. You also begin to realize that he is a king and thus you are royalty. In 1 Peter 2.9, it says that you are a chosen royal priesthood, that our God is the king of kings and that what he says goes, it will happen. He will see his mission come to fruition every single time. And that because you are a child, you are royalty, you are beloved, you belong in the courts of the king. Simply put, as we pursue intimacy with God, we will in fact grow closer and closer with God and genuinely get to know and love him, okay? All right, let's keep moving. Number three, we will attain God's heart. That's a reality of prayer. That's why we pray. We pray because we will attain the heart of God as we pray. This will happen regarding sin. We will attain God's heart regarding sin. On an individual level, Psalm 51 says, according to your steadfast love, and abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. The person that prays to God goes, whoa, you are perfect. You are holy. You are righteous. You are gracious and you are merciful. And this sin does not belong in my heart. And so according to your grace and mercy, will you blot this out? Will you clean me up? Will you, will you make me more and more like you? As you develop a relationship of intimacy with God, you will no longer have a palate for sin. It, you will just want to spit that out. And it won't be shameful. It'll be for your healing, for your help, for your maturity, for your joy. You will have the same heart that God has over sin. This will happen on a communal level. Daniel 9, Daniel prays a prayer of repentance on behalf of all the people. He's probably like sitting right in righteousness with God, but he knows that his people are hurting. He even prays repentance over the generation that had gone before him. They're already dead. And he's like, God, we have sinned against you. This will happen as you begin to pray and press into the spirit of the Lord, like as the Holy Spirit begins to sanctify you and grow you, you won't just hurt for your own sin, you'll hurt for the sins of others. Why? Because you understand sin severs relationship with God. I experienced this in the prayer and, fasting, uh, prayer, prayer and fasting season that we were just in. 
feelings and emotions for our city and our culture that I didn't know I could have. I wasn't picturing a specific faces, but I was just aware, God, there is sin. Like, there is sin. And it puts a gap in between real people and a real God. And my heart was just breaking. And I was like, what is happening right now? Like, who am I crying over? I don't even know. But like the Holy Spirit, he will break your heart, not just for your sins. Like, he will cleanse that, but he will break your heart for the sins of others. Because what is sin? It's the thing that separates us in the heart of God. We were made to know the heart of God. All right. Um, we will attain God's heart for the lost, for people that do not know God. Solomon prays this prayer in 2 Chronicles 6, verse 32 through 33. He's been building this temple that God's presence could dwell in. And he prays, I'm gonna put it in like my own words, but this, I think this is accurate. But he prays, God, anyone, any foreigner that comes here and prays to you, answer whatever they ask. Please, I ask you, answer whatever they ask so that everyone will know the name of the true God. He goes, anyone that doesn't know you, if they for some reason call out to you, God, please answer it so they will know that you are the true God. This is what happens as we know the heart of God, we begin to know the heart of God is that all would know God. And so we begin praying, like they don't know God, God, let's, let's hit this up. Like, Holy Spirit, like, give me the words, give me, like, I, I need them to know the Lord. This is what this prayer and fasting movement was about in the past month. Let's pray that people would come to know the heart of God. This will happen. You will cultivate a heart for the lost. Man, you guys are doing great. My throat is not. Stick with me, all right? We're doing all right? I know, I know we're trucking. Next week, gonna look totally different, okay? All right, number four, we will attain God's heart for the hurting. This reminds me of when Jesus looked at Jerusalem and just broke over it. When we see devastation, when we see things like in New Zealand, when we see the hurting, when we see the poor, when we see the orphan, when we see the widow, God will give us a heart for that. In a cynical culture that is me, me, me based, God will break that, he will cleanse that, he will remove that, and you will see other people the way Jesus sees them. You will not overlook them. You will go and be with them. This is what happens in prayer. Number five, you will also experience the joy and the contentment and the rejoicing of the father. Think about the prodigal story, the father, his son came home, you're ready for him to give him just a beat down. And instead he throws a party, the joy of the father. First Timothy six says contentment plus godliness is great gain. Contentment plus godliness, maybe it's the other way, godliness plus contentment. I think it's that way. I think godliness goes first, is great gain, all right? What he's talking about is, hey, in a culture that goes, you need more. More of whatever comes to your mind when I say you need more, all right? You need more, you need more, you need more. God's gonna give you a heart that is content. Does anyone long to be content, to look in the mirror and be content, to think about their life and be content? Be just present and satisfied with where they are, with the lot they've been given. That's what happens in prayer. That contentment is for you. Like you can experience the peace that comes with being content and the joy. Acts 5.41 says that the disciples left the presence of this council that had threatened to kill them and they were rejoicing because they, counted, they were counted worthy to suffer dishonest, dishonor for the name. So these disciples are in front of this council, their life is threatened and they're like, just like Hillsong Oceans in the background, like praise the Lord, we were considered worthy. The Holy Spirit, when we pray, when we, when we draw near to God, when intimacy with God is cultivated, we will experience joy in situations where everyone else is going, how in the world are you experiencing joy? The Holy Spirit, that will happen. As you draw near to God, this will happen. A good example of this uh, in today's world is like baptism nights. You ever been to a baptism gathering? You wanna like experience the heart of God? You'll be experiencing joy from a 
part of your heart that's way so down low that you thought only grief and shame could be there. But in fact, there's joy, just very down deep. And you see people giving their life to Jesus and the Holy Spirit's like, hey, this joy that you're feeling, the tears you didn't know you were about to cry, like on behalf of these people that have given their life to Jesus, that's 1% of what I got for you. I'm, I'm just getting started with you. I'm just, let, I'm just letting you get a little bit of the joy of heaven. I'm just gonna keep amplifying. That, there's more there. There's more there, okay? The joy of the Lord. Last one, peace. You, can, you will have a peace that surpasses understanding. Philippians 4, 6, and 7 says, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Does that sound good, all right? This peace that surpasses all understanding, all logic, it's nonsensical, is yours to be had as you draw near to the Lord, all right? This is what God has for you as you pray. All right, now we're moving on to the fourth uh, big, big thought. And there's three more, and these are a little shorter. Prayer gives vision or discernment, all right? Vision, discernment, whichever word um, you're more comfortable with. But Acts 20, 22 through 23, Paul talks about how he's gonna go to a few different lands. And he goes, I don't know quite what's gonna happen, but the Holy Spirit has let me know I'm, pretty much, I'm gonna get beat. Like, it's coming. Like, he has this weird understanding he goes, I don't know fully what's in front of me, but I know partly what awaits me. There's like this vague understanding of what the future holds. The Holy Spirit is prepping Paul and his grace going, hey, it's about to get hard. Not everybody's very eager to receive Jesus. Just be ready. And so Paul is mentally preparing for what's coming his way because the Holy Spirit has given him very real insight to what the future holds. Does that make sense? All right, so um, in Acts 21.4, the disciples are praying together and they sense the Spirit telling Paul, don't go to Jerusalem yet, all right? Don't, don't go there yet. In verse 11, Paul talks about how he, he knows, the Spirit has let him know in some ways that he will be bound, ways that he will be tortured. He already knows. And we go, that's super weird. It kinda is, but this is true for us. Now, the Holy Spirit giving vision or discernment is hard to, to talk about from the front because it will look so different for everybody. Like, it really will. I've seen, I've seen this be true. One guy that I know, he's always getting these pictures in his head, and they're always really awesome. But I'm like, how do you think that way? I don't know what's going on, and I don't get pictures in my head. But I'll tell you a story about something that did happen. I walked into a Chipotle. One, great decision, because that. And then um, I felt like God was like, just tell me to be aware. Hey, just as you come in here and order your, your burrito bowl, like, just be aware. I start talking to this girl. And uh, she, she's working from behind the counter and, and I just sense like, okay, you know, how are you? And she answers like, I'm okay. And I feel God, like I feel something in me go press on. Why just okay? What's going on? She starts telling me how someone very close to her died unexpectedly. It's crazy. So for some reason, I don't, this never happens at Chipotle. For some reason, I went and sat down and she brought me my food. I don't know what went down. I don't know what happened. Maybe they got backed up. But she came out uh, and then I said, hey, can I pray for you? Like I, I, since God asked me to pray for you, I get to pray for her. You know, and then uh, as I leave, apparently her shift had just ended. Her mom was picking her up and she, her mom rolls down the window, calls me over to her car and says, like, that was a big deal. Like, thank you so much. That was a blessing, whatever. And that all started with this weird, hard to describe, hard to make tangible, provoking of the Holy Spirit. And I 
am not the guy to make this like really tangible and like formulaic. I don't think it works that way anyway, but that's a thing that the Holy Spirit will do. You've had moments where you were like, I need to go here right now, or I need to move here, or I need to tell this person something, all right? And hopefully you've been humble about it. I think God might be telling me to do something. But have you ever experienced moments where you were like, I have this, maybe you call it a gut feeling, um, potentially it's the Holy Spirit going, I'm trying to tell you something, okay? So it will give you vision and discernment. Um, man, I have, some, I have more cool stories there. We gotta keep moving. Okay, number five, it goes to war. Prayer goes to war. Scripture is not shy about this. We can be. We can be a little shy. Scripture is really not, all right? Ephesians 6 says, hey, don't get it confused, all right? Our battle is not against flesh and blood. You look around and go like, this is where it's at. But Paul says, no, our battle is actually in the heavenly realms. There's like spiritual realities. Some of those spiritual realities are on the side of God. Some of them are on the exact opposite side, warring against the ways of God. I know this is mysterious. Scripture's not shy, we gotta press into it, okay? This will happen personally, communally, and culturally. On a personal level, look no further than Matthew 4. Jesus prays and fast for like 40 days. Somehow, right, with the Father, the enemy comes, tempts him. Three different times, Jesus responds, overcomes temptation. Jesus was spiritually prepping for his journey, his mission, and the enemy comes close. Prayer goes to work personally, goes to war against the enemy. This happens communally with our friends. Luke twenty two thirty one. this is crazy. Jesus is talking to Peter and he goes, Peter, Satan wants to sift you like wheat. Peter, I know Satan is coming for you, but I have prayed for you. He, that's his answer. Jesus goes, my number one strategy, my strategic response against the enemy gunning for your soul, I prayed. And you're gonna fall, but when you come back, strengthen the brothers. Just getting Peter, I bet Peter was like, I'm gonna fall? <laughs> what? No, not, I know this, I'm not going to anymore, you know? But Jesus like just speaks truth, goes, hey, I know the enemy's coming at you. I have prayed for you. And when you come back, strengthen your brothers. Go into war communally. This happens culturally. First Timothy 2, chapter one. Paul's gonna talk to Timothy. He's gonna go, look, you're a pastor in a city. First step one. Step one to bless in a city, you pray for it. Pray, intercede, supplication, thanksgiving. Like, no, no, nothing else. Just prayer. He goes, for it's the will of God that all would know him. And that starts with you praying over your city praying over your rulers, over your authorities. Like literally go to war spiritually. Paul, the number one missionary that we go, man, if I could be like Paul, I'm straight. That works out. Paul is going, Timothy, you want success? Pray. You wanna see the kingdom break through? Don't worry about your son. Pray. Don't worry about your PowerPoint. Pray. Don't worry if the building's aesthetically pleasing. Pray. Pray for your city. Like strongholds will be shaken when you pray in the name of Jesus. So there's this like strong belief, especially when you read Paul, he's so aware of the spiritual realities on a personal, communal, and cultural level. That's why we did this for the past month in February. We prayed over our city. We went to war. Whether you knew that or not, we did that. Like, like it's, it's pretty wild, but we said we are going to go to war against the spirits that are against God. Against, we are going against Satan directly. This is how we wage war. Okay, it goes to war. Last thing. Prayer changes things. It just changes things. 
on an internal level and on an external level, okay? Internally, I think I've touched on it. Everything I've said, a lot of it was internal stuff, okay? But it also does this external. There's this famous quote that goes, um, basically something like, I figured out that prayer changes me and then I change what's around me. And it's this really meaningful quote because it's like, oh, it's true. On some level, prayer changes our hearts and then we, in turn, go and change what's around us. I do wanna say that what I believe scripture is the opposite of shy about is that prayer also changes things because prayer changes things. Like, it's just what happens, all right? And this can be a touchy subject, depending on your denominational background, your comfort level, and maybe even your experience. But I believe in some of the people that I've walked closely enough with that prayer heals. It, it heals, like it, it will heal. And, and sometimes there won't be healing. And I hear you, I, I, I promise you my life, I hear you, but prayer heals. And prayer produces things that, that will change. Like, there are people that I have prayed for and watched change just happen in their life. And I'm sure I was a little bit of a part of it, but like I've watched things happen that I was not in control of. Just praying for them, like just going for it, all right? So uh, prayer will change things in you. It will, it will change things around you, okay? That will happen. So next week, we're gonna dig into what prayer looks like. But, but as we close, I wanna name some of the barriers that we might feel as we think about this. Some of the things that kind of well up in your heart, even as I say all the things I'm saying, all right? And I'm gonna have, forgive my pace for all of this, but I'm I'm gonna have to go through this kind of quick, okay? Barriers. First, your narrative, your story. Just very simply, whatever your story is, it has shaped you. Um, Your parents, uh, your religious background, your school, your town, whatever it is, things have shaped you. Uh, trauma, there's so many things here, okay? And a lot of times, even if you go Christian family, Christian church, Christian since I was born, like all the things, there are things that have shaped you and they have either told you something true about God or something false about God, right? Like, and it can go either way, but all of us have been shaped by our life experience and sometimes that can be a barrier in how we view God. People have viewed us certain ways, so we view God certain ways or we believe God views us certain ways, okay? Does that make sense? So barriers, one can be your story. Number two, Satan, demons, spiritual darkness. Real talk, they are totally against your prayer life. They do not want you to pray. It is not always your laziness. Uh, It can be, but there can be a nice little mixture of laziness and just spiritual warfare, okay? Um, It's not always your apathy. It's not always that you can't hear God. Like it's sometimes it's the enemy, just clearly at work in your life. Number three is sin. One million percent will be a barrier every time. Um, darkness only lives in darkness. When a light turns on, darkness goes away. So darkness, since it only lives in darkness, when you sin, the enemy will go, keep that there. Don't bring that before the Lord. Like he won't heal you, he will shame you. All the lies you get told. So sin becomes a very real barrier. Whereas God would say, you've sinned, come back. I won't just wait for you. I'll run off the porch and go find you. I'm coming. Sin goes, hide. What did Adam do in the garden? Hide. Like, like duck right now, right? So sin will be a barrier. Number four, doubt. Doubt is a barrier, an unnecessary one. I think doubt produces a thorough faith, but we see it as an obstacle that distances us from God, okay? So for me, my instinct with doubt is to not talk to the Lord. I think our reaction should be the opposite. I think we should easily bring our doubts with God and wrestle with him and the health of good Christian community. Um, but doubt can feel like a real barrier. 
Five, um, logic and science, all right? We see like science and spirit being competitors. I don't think they are at all, right? But they can feel that way sometimes. Like uh, you can't prove it. There's no formula. There's no A plus B, whatever. And so sometimes logic and science can really uh, mess us up in the whole like prove it mindset, okay? Number six, impatience, time. Everything is available instantly to us. And so we start out January 1st, 2019. 2019 is a year of prayer. Bless the Lord, here we go. And by January 7th, we're like, look, I'm pretty sure God's not real. Prayer's not working. It's all fake. Like, what's going on? I mean, I'm kind of joking, but I'm also like, that's kind of how I do things a lot of times in my life. And so, so often our impatience hearts, like we're trapped in time, God is not, um, but we like to hold him to our calendar. But the thing is, thorough foundation, solid foundation that will last a lifetime takes time. And, and prayer is a time thing. It's a long game. There's some things that will happen in the short term, but it's a long-term process, all right? Um, two more. Number seven, the everyone but me mindset. Man, everyone around me, how are they experiencing it? And I'm not, I'm left here. And yet 90% of us would go, man, I know, I know what that one is. And we're all going, everyone but me, right? And we hear stories about like amazing things and we go, of course they get to have it, why don't we? And we fall into comparison. Instead of letting testimony encourage us, it discourages us. Instead of it letting it testify of God's realness, we let it testify to how we don't have it, right? And so um, the everyone but me narrative can be really hard. Number eight, I don't hear God, all right? I've tried, I don't hear God. All right, that's like the fishing hook to take us to next week, okay? So the I don't hear God, we will talk about that next week. We're gonna circle up our chairs. We're gonna break down different ways that we can pray on an individual and a communal level. And we're gonna get really practical and really push into participation because I believe it's where participation meets information where transformation will take place. Listen, good job. I'm so, I am not sorry because I think this is all really amazing. Um, but, because I mean, I love it. Um, and I think it was for our church. I also understand I just blitzed through a, like a lot of content. And so if you need any notes, if you have any questions, if you feel like some ground wasn't covered, come talk to me, Cody, talk to anybody on our team. Um, would love to talk to you. But thank you for standing firm for like, I won't name the time, it was a long time, all right? So as we go to communion, I wanna encourage you as you grab communion, this week, very simple thing, where is one place that you can step into prayer or how can you step into prayer every single day leading up to next Sunday? So just ask God, hey, how can I step into prayer every single day leading up to next Sunday and will you help me do that? All right, so just, just ask God, like, man, how can I step into prayer this week and then ask for God's help, okay? I'm gonna pray, we'll get communion, we'll go to worship. God, thank you, um, we love you. Prayer is such a thing, man. On, on, on one hand, it feels so simple. And on another hand, it feels infinitely complex. Will you help us, God? To be just simply obedient and coming into your presence and talking to you, God, will you give us a comfort level like Adam had? You help us to remember that prayer, the idea of it tells us that God wants to talk to us. Like, it's a very cool thing at the very base of it is that you want relationship, you want communion, you want relationship with us, God. And yeah, we just illuminate in our hearts uh, fear, cynicism, hurt, pain. 
And may our response be to bring it to you, bring it to you in prayer. Yeah, eliminate, uh, illuminate our next steps, whatever our step is this week, to pray every day in whatever way. Just illuminate it in Jesus' name. Amen.